Okay, we did it. We did it. We're here. That's incredible, right? Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we had some issues a few days ago. We wanted to do this a few days ago, but we had some technical issues. But we did it this time. Uh, we found out the way to reschedule it. And Security Break is live once again. I think this is the yeah, 14th episode, which is pretty cool. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, this is the first time uh, you watch you watch this show. Uh, this is just a, a little project of mine. I'm Giorgio, by the way. Uh, and uh, this is supposed to be a podcast where I invite cool people like Chris uh, to talk about a bunch of uh, uh, recent security news and uh, just discuss about them and possibly learn something on the, on the process. Just because I really think that um you know uh, aside of doing you know personally technical stuff but even if you're doing something uh, something else in the industry uh, you have to keep you know yourself updated with what's happening uh you know in the wild or just out there and uh um sharing thoughts and uh you know um knowledge and information with other peers from the industry uh, especially you know even outside your company it's really uh enriching yourself so yeah, that's just an excuse to do that for myself personally. And um, yeah, today I have, you know, um, uh, together with me, Chris Cochran. Uh, I hope I pronounced that correctly, actually. Perfect. Uh, and uh, yeah, Chris, would you mind just introduce yourself briefly? Absolutely. Hey, how's it going, everybody? My name is Chris Cochran. I'm a advisory CISO and chief evangelist at Huntress. I'm also the co-founder of Hacker Valley Media, where we do a lot of work in the creative space in cybersecurity, so making podcasts, videos. During my day job, uh, what we do at Huntress is we support the 99% of folks out there that can't afford the top tier uh, solutions out there because we feel like everybody needs cybersecurity at the end of the day. And so we're supporting the folks that uh, basically make up the backbone of our economy. And so, uh, yeah, I'm happy to be here. Excited to talk about some of the uh, emerging threats out there in the cyber world. And uh, thanks for inviting me on, Giorgio. Oh, thank, thanks to you for, for joining me, actually. Um, so, yeah, that's it. That's great. So as I mentioned, the, uh, the format is very simple. I'm going just to introduce uh, one of the first news we're going to talk about today. And uh, yeah, we'll start our chat about it. So everyone should be able to see my screen now. Just a second before we, we start, you're watching this live on Twitch right now, um, but I'm going to re-upload this episode uh, together with all of the others we did already uh, on YouTube and uh, you know uh, all of those uh, podcast platforms like Spotify and uh, similar. So feel free to have a look at them and uh, you know possibly uh, click on those subscribe buttons because it's really, really, really helpful. Um, so, okay, first, first story of the day. And I thought this is something that uh, we didn't speak about on the uh, um, on this show uh, so far. Uh, but from mm -hmm. someone from the industry, it's something pretty niche because not everyone is going to, uh, you know, uh, handle personally any uh, activity like this. But it's... Mm -hmm. No, uh, definitely uh, interesting to uh, to see and talk about this. So the story is about something that happened in Texas, specifically, and uh, um, three men, I believe, uh, were arrested 
for a very, very specific kind of crime where involved, which involved, you know, uh, uh, exploiting ATMs uh, and, um, you know, in order to basically uh, get money out of it, of course. Uh, and uh, the interesting thing here is that apparently they used a bunch of uh, Raspberry PIs. Uh, if you don't know what that is, it's, you know, uh, basically a computer on a board, so a very, very little, there are different models, but usually there are very little uh, computers which are completely built in in a single, uh, in a single card. So that's it, you know, uh, you just have one single little device that you can hide anywhere, right? Mm -hmm. And you can use for, you know, any kind of, um, uh, any kind of reason, of course, there are a lot of very cool projects out there even, you know, um, a lot of them are basically open source. Uh, but of course, you know, uh, as with everything, uh, attackers can use them as well, right? In this case, we don't have the details from the article, but it's not, that's not the point. Uh, the thing is that um, most of the time when you have to exploit a device like that, like an ATM, you really need to connect physically to, um, to the device and, you know, use... Uh, upload some malware or just connect to it and uh, exploit some vulnerabilities in order to, you know, um, then send commands to retrieve money, right? So I think that's the the, the best part of it, right? Um, attacking ATMs in order to get money, so it's not the common, you know, ransomware attack that we see uh, most of the time in the news right now. It's something, not, not something new, but we, we, uh, we don't see this uh, so much. And the usage of... Uh, you know, a device like that, right? I don't know, what, what's your first thoughts about this? So the, my main thought about this is that, first of all, I'm glad that it was only, you know, 5,700 bucks or whatever it was that was stolen. But what this does is this reminds us that these ATM heists, these jackpot, uh, jackpotting uh, operations still occur, right? We remember a little while ago when North Korea, allegedly North Korea did, I uh, think, you know, just north of $10 million in a jackpot operation. So this is just a reminder that these operations are still occurring. So we there's still a little bit of work that we need to do on our end to make sure that these types of operations don't happen. Because imagine if there was another jackpot, you know, situation where it was an entire criminal underground, you know, across the world again, trying to pull money from uh, one particular vendor or one particular bank or financial institution, that could be very damaging, especially if they're not able to recoup that money or, or, or arrest the perpetrators. So that just reminds me that we still have a little work to do on securing our ATMs and a little bit of work to do when, when it comes to jackpotting operations. Yeah, absolutely. You said something that, that for me, it's very interesting, right? We still see something like that. Uh, again, it's not something that um, most of the time security, you know, practitioners have uh, have to, you know, uh, work with. Uh, you have to be you know, like in a specific environment, in banking environments, or maybe uh, in those companies who actually, you know, develop and uh, build those those devices uh, to mm -hmm. to uh, to work with them. And uh, I think, at least for for what I know personally, that the main problem there is that. Those devices are usually very, very old, like the way they oh, yeah. are built, the operating system they, they have on board. Uh, it's not something that are, you know, a type of device that is really updated that often, right? Mm -hmm. And that's, that has been, at least in the, in the past, the main problem with it because it has, it 
they really have a list of vulnerabilities that are not really patched or fixed because you know uh, uh, it's it's really uh, expensive to build them or to replace them yeah. not just updated them uh, and uh, there's also the thing that you really I think that you really um, uh, bet on the fact that you, attackers have to have physical access to them right it's not usually right. something that you can just remotely exploit because they are not no they should not be connected to uh, a network at least but i think they, they are not uh, all of the time uh, but still apparently you know uh, that's not there's something there's not something that prevents attackers to do it right um uh you know uh, actually and, and now the, the second part of it the usage of raspberry uh, it's the yep. perfect it's the perfect thing right because it is uh, you know of course I think you, you you always have like cameras pointing at the uh, at the ATM for security reasons, right? Mm -hmm. So you cannot just go in there with a laptop or something. <laughs> yeah, right? it's a dead giveaway. <laughs> <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna see you, right? It's gonna be uh, right. suspicious. So you have to, to have something very small you can hide somewhere. I've seen in the past the usage of like of USB drives. Um, yeah, USB drives. That if you have access to some, you know, USB ports, of course, um, mm -hmm. this is this is perfect, right? This is um, yeah, pretty pretty smart, I would say. Um, yeah. And uh, and yeah, as usual, uh, Raspberry Pi in this time um, is just usage of a tool because it's just a tool in a malicious yeah. way, and uh, yeah. Uh, and any tool can be used in a malicious way, even if if it's uh, built on a first uh, at the first time, just for for good reasons, right? Mm -hmm. Raspberry Pi is very versatile. I mean, you could do so many different things with it. You can uh, control robots. You can. It could be your own little personal computer. It could do things like this. I mean, it's just so versatile. You can't put any shade towards Raspberry Pi because it's just the tool at the end of the day, right? You can't get mad at the hammer because it's all in what you do with it. Exactly. Uh, but then you, the, the point you bring up about it's really tough for uh, financial st institutions to go rip and replace all of these ATMs. You're right. I mean, if you're a financial institution that has 10,000 ATMs out there in the world, you're going to have a sliding scale of different operating systems and hardware specifications that you're going to have to keep track of. And I'm sure it's tough to not only keep track, but then to say like, up, oh, uh, these particular systems are going to be end of life because of X, Y, and Z. They're going to push them as hard as they can uh, to get as much mileage out of those machines as possible. And when you're dealing with something that happens as fast as, as technology, it's going to be really hard to keep up with it and be able to, to mitigate any of those vulnerabilities that you can think of. Yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, again, if you are already a security practitioner, you know how difficult it is just to keep updated normal servers and computers, mm -hmm. right? In a normal environment. Yeah. I say normal just because it's the most common one you see, uh, you know, in uh, in any organization. You know, a bunch of possibly ninety percent of the time you are, you are, you also have uh, Windows servers on a specific mm -hmm. version, and it's already very very difficult for for a number of reasons for the the just the number of devices you have in there. Uh, the the way they are segregated, the way you have to access them, if you have you know the privilege to do that, uh, if you know all the softwares that are installed in them are um, you know have any updates available because that depends on uh, the the various vendors, you know not only the operating mm -hmm. system but all of the 
individual softwares that are um, uh, that are installed in there, or if you actually have some custom softwares in it, right? You are, you know, as an organization responsible for uh, creating those patches, uh, other than uh, you know uh, finding out about the vulnerabilities themselves. And mm -hmm. when you have this kind of devices that probably like I don't think they are categorized as IoT, but it's I think it's a similar uh, kind of scenario, right? Because you have right. um, you know uh, where devices with custom installation of some operating systems um, that are using maybe you know uh, uh, custom protocols and everything that are placed in uh, uh, segregated networks or they are not connected at all. So an operator has to go physically to all of them and try to update them or maybe you cannot uh, update, update it uh, uh, you know, uh, at all and you actually have to replace the device which means buying a new one from the vendor and I, I definitely uh, expect these devices to be really, really expensive, right? Uh, because they are so niche, so specific that only financial institutions need them. Uh, so I don't really know uh, how much it could cost. I remember a conference at some point, I like a speech at the conference I was looking at, which this guy actually bought one from eBay or something, uh, like a used mm -hmm. one, and it was already, you know, uh, um, yeah, thousands of dollars, right? Um, so if you, you, you said it, if you had 10,000 of them around the world and you have to install them, if you uh, think about the even the, the people that you have to pay to, to install them and everything, uh, it's it's a mess. It's completely a mess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I don't remember reading this in the article, but did they say what the interface was that they use the Raspberry Pi? Was it, did they plug into some USB port like in the ATM, and then how did they get to the USB port? So uh, unfortunately, it's not specified. Okay, the, the article is not mm -hmm. very technical. What it specified is that. You know, uh, they, they, they catch those people and they um, uh, basically find out about all of the um, yeah, tools they used. And uh, they found mm -hmm. about a bunch of those uh, Raspberry Pis. So allegedly, you know, those, was, uh, those were the ones that they used. And uh, it's actually, right. yeah, they, you, you said that uh, they just, um, uh, you know, got uh, like a couple of thousands of dollars, not very much. I believe right. they actually were just caught uh, very early in the process um, mm -hmm. because, uh, yeah, it definitely can be um, so, so worse than that. Uh, and it has, you know, it has been previously with other uh, similar campaigns. So, so it, this time it was a, a, good, a good case, but th that's the point. If this happened in Texas, you know, from those uh, three people which... Uh, at least not, not specified, they're not part of any, you know, uh, a big group of, of uh, you know, malicious actors or something. We know that the same thing can happen anywhere else in the world. It's still a yep. thing, right? Uh, and can still be a, a, a big threat for, a, a, you know, a, a big number of financial institutions there. So just one of those, of course, you have already to, to watch out for so many threats um, yeah. at your normal network infrastructure and you also have to think about this so yeah one thing i'll say uh about this is it, it's very plausible that the these individuals were able to craft this on their own and, and duplicate you know or create some type of 
uh, mechanism, uh, upload it to a Raspberry Pi, and then execute the operations. But there's also the potentiality of this being a dark web market situation where you can just go buy this this tool and upload it to a Raspberry Pi. And I mean, it could even be more sophisticated than that, where it's a marketplace, an entire marketplace where people are able to go and buy all of these different ex, uh, exploits to use for nefarious purposes. And so you're right. If this is something that's as a service or this is something that people can just buy on the marketplace, this might pique the interest of other folks, maybe even more organized, maybe more prolific in different countries. And they might try to utilize this to do their own jackpotting operation. Yeah. So this is actually something that we we uh, discussed multiple times in the previous episode, right? That everything in the last years is shifting, you know, especially on cybercrime in general, is shifting to anything as a service, right? Where yeah. you don't really have to, you know, uh, get any kind of skills or you don't really have to be really high hand in the, you know, with technology and everything, because technically you can look, you know, uh, on the dark web and find for anything if you are able to, to pay for it. And most of the time you are because it's not really expensive because it's something that, you know, uh, the, you know, those providers, let's say, uh, really uh, plan to, to get as many customers as possible, right? So most of those solutions, most of those, uh, you know, uh, thing as a service uh, that you can find are very, very cheap. Like anyone can really afford them. Uh, so I, I will also expect that in this case, they, they didn't really build this themselves. It could be, but it's definitely more probable that just they just bought it, right? Or mm -hmm. they bought an exploit and just adapted to be used on a, on the Raspberry thing. Uh, and yeah, you know, the, the problem right now is that the, the, the bar is so, so low. Like anyone mm -hmm. can really uh, perpetrate... Uh, Something that we we will say some years ago that will you know uh, will be very sophisticated. Right now, it's not sophisticated at all because you can buy a bunch of stuff or just pay someone to build something for you, right? And you just have to be yep. the person which goes in there and physically physically access to the device and get the money, which is the probably the riskier part. But still, yep. you don't have to to be a a, a, a tech guy or anything. Mm -mm. That's nope, scary. not at all. That is scary. Okay, so um, don't know what you think, but we can probably move to the next news. Um, Let's do it. Already. So uh, just a little reminder. Again, uh, you are uh, free to uh, to join us and uh, um, you know uh, participate in the community conversation here on Twitch. Just write in the comments. We are uh, having a look at the um, you know the chat. So uh, feel free to do that. Otherwise, just rewatch the uh, the video on YouTube and leave a comment in there. Uh, any feedback will be much appreciated. So, um, second story here. This is uh, definitely a bit sad. Like, it's yeah. uh, most of the time it's sad when it comes to uh, you know attacks in general to to any you know organization or or person. Uh, but this is uh, a particular one. Um, so, uh. You know, a specific group uh, called, I, I will pronounce this Bayan Lion, I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. But um, this one, uh, basically, and you know, this is something that, again, uh, happened very, very, very commonly where 
the actors themselves after uh, they perpetrated an attack. Uh, they have their own, uh, you know, website on uh, again on the dark web most of the time, where they communicate to the public that they breached some company, right, or some organization or some uh, something on, uh, um, you know, where they are going to um, claim to be responsible for it. And um, uh, yeah, basically declare, okay, we breached this network. Um, we, you know, collected this uh, amount of data or this kind of data, and uh, you know, if the company is not going to to pay us, um, right. uh, we are going to, to publish it or to sell it or whatever. It's just a way to uh, push the company basically to to pay for a ransom. Um, very tiny but interesting thing. This, uh, you know, this is usually what um, most of the time happens with ransomware, where you know, uh, actors actually encrypt the um, target networks and uh, mm -hmm. basically disrupt the organization uh, so that the company is, you know, basically losing money just because it's not working at all until they pay for the ransom. But recently there was a shift where all of those ransomware gangs started to also, you know, um, uh, you know publish the data they, they were collecting yeah. before encryption. And now there's even uh, uh, a further step where this group started to just, uh, you know, uh, uh, publish the data without even encrypting. Uh, right. Which seems to be, uh, you know, it's more effective on their side probably. Otherwise, you know, um, they will not do it. And uh, yeah, this is something we see very often. But the point here that this time, the target of the attack, so the, 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 the thing where uh, the organization from where the data was stolen, it's actually a very you know, well-known um, non-profit organization called you know, Save the Children. Mm -hmm. Probably all of you uh, will know about it. And you know, this, is, this is the other thing. This is the, the mind-blowing thing, if you want. Um, the thing that no one uh, can say that I'm not the target. Definitely, this is right. the ultimate if you ask me, uh, you know, proof that anyone, right, anyone can be a target. And yep. we are talking about cybercrime. We are about, we're talking about criminals, you know, maybe not all of them, but a part of them will not have any problems targeting anyone. You know, this group right. is actually pretty well known to, to attacking hospitals and uh, uh, critical infrastructures. So they want to do damage and they have no problems at all in doing that so this should make a lot of people really think about it 100 percent. when i think about criminals it's funny because it seemed like a little while ago i would say not every single criminal organization has morals or ethics or anything like that but it did seem like there were more criminal organizations that did have ethics than today it seems like the more access that criminals have access to exploits and software, ransomware as a service type services, they're people with less morals that are able to execute across the board. So then you have people that are targeting hospitals. You have, uh, just like this, Save the Children uh, being affected. And now it's just like, hey, we're just going to hit every single target that we can, regardless of what they do uh, in operations, and which is a really, really scary thought. The other thing it makes me think about is that when you're looking at something like this, they're obviously going to say like, 
whether it's ransomware or you're going to just take that information and, and hold it hostage and say, hey, we're going to leak your data if you don't give us the money. I think that this group turned to, hey, let's just focus on the information because it, it probably shortcuts things a little bit. Because if you're dealing with both a ransomware operation and sort of like a smash and grab data, uh, now you're having to juggle two different operations where an organization could have backups. They could have really good business continuity practices where the ransomware eh, probably just gave them a little bit of a headache for a day or so. But if you wholeheartedly take all that information and say, Hey, we have your information hostage. So I think that's what this group was doing. They were just trying to shortcut it. It does seem like they do dabble back into ransomware, but it did seem like they pivoted to just the, the smash and grab information and holding that for ransom at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. And I am also thinking that, uh, you know, in terms of this, this is, you know, of course my point of view as a, as a, as an analyst in this industry, um, if, you, if we talk about identification, right, or detection, mm -hmm. uh, the point is that if the attacker is going to drop a ransomware, at that point, you know, you will notice it, right? Uh, the problem right. is, you know, of course, we are all trying to prevent. We are all trying to, uh, you know, make sure attackers, you know, do not really get into our network. But at some point, when they will, because they will, um, you know, you want really to identify the, you know, um, the threat as soon as possible because you can um, contain the damage, you can try to er eradicate them as soon as possible and prevent, you know, even more damage to be, to be done to your network. And the point is that the ransomware itself, the encryption itself, it's very noisy, right? You notice that right. your servers stop working out or that your employees cannot really uh, do anything uh, anymore or they cannot just... Uh, access their data and everything. So even if you are not really, uh, let's say, very mature with your security posture and everything, that's the step where you you will definitely get to know about the about the attack. And the point mm -hmm. is the point that you know possibly the this this messenger thing is uh, more effective for the ransom thing. You want really to be as an attacker. You want really to be as stealth uh, as much as possible so that you can right. collect as much data as possible because the more data you collect and exfiltrate the more you know the organization will be uh, unfortunately uh, willing to, mm -hmm. to pay the ransom right so i think that that's yep. also going to be part of it um, if you are going just for the exfiltration you can be more stealthy right and uh, yep. your time find out about as as many hosts in the network as possible find out all uh, you know about all of those file servers the database servers and you can silently collect all of those data you know i think specify how much data they collected this time i think it's uh yeah around <clears throat> 7 terabytes which is yeah. a lot definitely a lot of data lot and of data. Uh, you know of different kind i'm reading here HR files, personal data, which is very, uh, you know, concerning, um, especially for, for the kind of you know, organization that we are talking about, financial mm -hmm. records. So that really means that they took, took their time to find out, you know, all of the different places where those data were stored because you don't have just a, you know, most of the time you don't have just a single, uh, you know, um, device where everything is stored. You know, everyone has their own application where to store the data. So, you know, it takes time. And you want, as an attacker, to be stealth in the process. 
So maybe just uh, dropping the ransomware, ransomware thing uh, is uh, is for that reason. Could be. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, I remember seeing um, things back in the day where uh, you would have an organization that was breached, and they and then the attacker were able to pull information, and then what they would do is they would send snippets of the information to the target to the victim to say hey this is the type of data that we have access to when you're stealing seven terabytes worth of information you can snip the juiciest bits and say this is what we have access to and that's going to push the victim to do whatever that that person wants i mean because a lot of times when they're when we talk about data breaches we talk about oh it was this much data but what exactly is the data that it was taken. And if they're able to show that, hey, we have some uh, controlled data, we have regulated data that we have in our possession, that's really gonna get the attention of, of the potential victim. So I, I think that these types of operations are gonna continue. They're gonna continue to spread and get more ridiculous as time goes on, because at the end of the day, controlling our data is one of the most important things we have to do as businesses. And if we lose that control, not only did we uh, hurt the people that we are trying to support, but we sort of hurt the reputation of the business, right? Because there are people who are going to be less likely to do business with us, to support us if we can't maintain their data. Yeah. And you mentioned something that I think is very interesting, like the fact that in the end, attacks really want to push the, the organization to, to pay the ransom, right? And they're mm-hmm. going to try everything, uh, like as you said, just trying to publish, you know, just little snippet of uh, what they they got. Um, I've seen in the past like doing uh, like different steps. Like right? I'm gonna share about just one terabyte of data or a few gigabytes of data just mm-hmm. to demonstrate I have the data, right? Right. Because they, they they could claim something that they don't really have, of course. Exactly. Uh, that's the thing about criminals. You don't have to trust criminals, first of all. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's not, you know, mm, you know, the fact that attackers or especially uh, ransomware gangs right now are so public, are so much talking with the, with the public and have their own uh, sites and their own blogs and everything, I think is pushing a little bit the industry to just, blindly trust them and everything they say right what they did what they have and everything but that's not that's not true unfortunately often it is true but that doesn't mean that you have to trust them right you're still handling with uh with some uh some criminals so um just you know to 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 still have a um you know uh, find a way to to push the, the the organization to pay they could just publish, I don't know, just the HR files so that, you mm-hmm. know, you see what I have is actually what I said. And if you don't pay right now, I'm going to um, publish the, the, the rest of the data. And maybe they can, uh, usually what happens, um, not that I'm suggesting to, uh, you know, anyone to do that, but usually in the process that uh, they are, um, how do they say, um, just finding uh, a way to, to make the organization to pay like, uh, making the attackers to ask less money, for example, uh, compared to what they mm-hmm. asked uh, uh, at the beginning. So right. it's something that they know how to do it. They know how to, uh, you know, uh, push the company and maybe maybe also 
making a time on it. Like you have to pay me in a few days or you have to pay uh, the entire, like uh, some money first and then you can pay it the rest uh, after a week or something. So it's it's a process they, they got really uh, good, right? Uh, to do it uh, mm-hmm. because eventually they, they want the money. That's the reason why they do it. They don't really want to Absolutely. publish data and get any money, right? Right. Uh, so, so definitely they, they are trying also to help the organization. That, that's like a paradox, but they're trying to help the organization to find the money, uh, to um, to get the way to, to pay because they are so mostly all the time asking to pay in, in cryptocurrency, right? And most of the organization are not really getting their, their wallets full of cryptocurrency. So they have to <laughs> buy them and everything. So they... they they are also teaching, right? How to do the, that kind of stuff, which is funny, right? But if you, that, that just demonstrate once again, how much they are advanced in this kind of stuff. It, it's, it's a business, it's a job for them, right? Oh yeah, I, I talk about this all the time. There are ransomware gangs that uh, not only do they put out calls for papers, like for conferences, Basically, like for, for criminals, they're like, hey, any criminals out there that's doing really good research, we're going to pay you for your research. They even have uh, call centers where like, hey, if you need help, you know, paying your ransom, figuring out how to use Bitcoin, making sure that you get your key and all that stuff. We got an entire team for that. We have uh, seen different groups that have HR, right? They, they have code of conduct. They have, uh, you know different uh, manuals for their employees to, to, to use. Uh, they have employees of the month. I mean, these are real criminal enterprises that are acting like businesses because they, they are a business. Just because they're doing something illegal doesn't make them a business. They're an illegal business. So they're going to continue to push into these operations, get more efficient, get more effective. They're going to recruit people to do more because they're making money. This is an operation that works time and time again. So the more they're going to invest, the more they're going to get out of uh, the victims across the board. Did I lose you?
It looks like we lost some folks.
Okay, I'm back. Chris, are you there? All right. Yeah, I'm here. Yeah. Sorry, sorry for that. I got some issues good. With connection, but should be back. So, um, yeah, I'm just gonna reshare my screen in a second, and uh, if you're okay with this, we can just uh, go to the uh, to the next news directly, right? So, Let's do it. Where is it? Here it is. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. So next story. This is again pretty niche, pretty, you know, um, yeah, interesting. Mm -hmm. Not something that you see um, very often. Actually, uh, the the specific technique I'm going to talk about, I didn't know about it be before reading this. So again, that's the that's what I mean when I say you know, reading just just reading news is something that really helps. Uh, in your, I think, in your development as a, as a prediction, right? Because you get to know new stuff, you deep dive in that, you, you know, do a bunch of research, and uh, yeah, you just are a little better than a few, few minutes before. So uh, that's, right. that's I, and I just hope that just us talking about this kind of stuff and the people uh, listening or watching, you know, they will get to know something new, they will do their own research, just not trust us just because they, we say something, but just do your, your research, double check, and uh, we all get better all together. So I think that's the, the spirit behind the um, uh, behind this, this podcast. So this time we're talking actually once again about GitHub. GitHub is something that we mentioned pretty often in this, uh, this podcast, but this time we are going to talk about a very specific technique that can uh, can affect um, uh, GitHub, uh, you know, uh, repositories. So again, if you don't know about GitHub, it's basically a platform mainly for developers where they can upload their their own code, their their own open source code, uh, or you know, just mm -hmm. internal organization they can use them uh, that internally just for storing the code, uh, tracking the versions of the code, and uh, just uh, help. Uh, multiple developers working at uh, work at the same project all together, right? Um, so it's plenty of different kind of projects and softwares. It's probably the, the most used platform of that kind uh, on the internet. Mm -hmm. and, uh, there are so many, you know, uh, softwares and projects that so many people and organization use in their own internal, you know, uh, infrastructure. So th this is. Uh, uh, a premise that is important to to say. Now, the the kind of attack that is being uh, let's say uh, uh, discovered by uh, a researcher this time is what they called repo jacking. So basically, mm -hmm. it's to exploit uh, an existing repository that is very well known and uh, that possibly many many people are already using in their uh, you know uh, in their work in their projects. And try to, uh, you know, uh, get people to connect to the wrong, right? To the to to some repository that is disguising it as the legitimate one, and possibly just making you, you know, download, uh, uh, you know, the, the malicious code instead of the, the legitimate one, just because right. you know that uh, you, you know you think you're connecting to the to the right one, but actually you, the same name you're connecting to me is making you download the um the, uh, the the malicious code now this is mm -hmm. uh, interesting uh i think i still have to do some research just 
research myself to, to get to know a little better about this. But for what I understand, basically, using the API provided by GitHub itself, uh, you can try to um, detect whenever someone is just changing the name of you know its username on GitHub, right? Right. And uh, you know if you get the exact moment when uh, the repository X is changed their name, uh, uh, basically you can try to replicate the old name with a new uh, username, mm -hmm. right? And calling your repositories with the, with the same uh, repository name of the previous one. Basically, anyone which is directly going to the to the old name is going to actually the malicious new repository, right? And right. Uh, this is particularly uh, concerning because if we apply this to very well-known repositories online where people are constantly downloading or connecting to without really double-checking every time they do it, uh, you know, you can just be uh, tricked by, by this very, very easily. Right, it's basically, uh, I will say, just a, another uh, phishing way uh, to to get to to, to attack people. Right. Um, right. So it's very interesting, very niche, but at the same time, so many developers are there can be affected by it. That right. you know, probably everyone should should know about this, and it's not the case. I will say. What do you think? Yeah, I wouldn't say everybody knows about this at all. Uh, and I would say of the articles that we're talking about today, this is probably the one I would uh, really know the least about. But I would say that it's very similar to a watering hole attack. But I would say that there is a degree of luck and timing that has to go into this particular attack if someone were to use it for malicious reasons. So they would have to know that, hey, this popular... Uh, repo um, and the user tied to it just changed their username. And so I'm going to snag the original username to try to set up a watering hole attack in order to do X, Y, and Z, right? Like you were saying, they download this, uh, you know, source code that actually has some, you know, hidden, hidden utilization that might do something nefarious. So I think at the end of the day, would this be hard to use in an actual attack? It probably would be really, really difficult to use. But uh, it's still an attack vector that you have to consider when it comes to these things because there are a lot of folks out there that are doing every, everything they can to take our data, take our money. So if this is still something that people can do, then people are going to try to leverage it in any way they can. Yeah. And, you know, this, this particular, you know, uh, technique to, to exploit this, uh, I think was actually fixed, right? Since it was a researcher um, discovering it, and uh, they did, uh, you know, uh, uh, how they say it, um, responsible disclosure. So basically, they found out about right. about the vulnerability. They communicated to the organization itself, so GitHub in this case. So they they could fix the um, the vulnerability, and then uh, just after they fixed it, uh, they could talk about it, uh, you know, uh, publicly. But the, the real problem that I think it's also pretty specified in the article and the researchers said it, is that this is not the first time they found about something like this. There were similar uh, vulnerabilities um, still you know, related to, to repo jacking that were found yeah. in the last years. Uh, and it, it, you know, it started to be pretty, uh, a pretty common thing uh, to find about, right? Because the problem is more the kind of technique in general just getting to know about uh, that something like this can happen, maybe in another way, maybe exploiting another kind of vulnerability uh, that could be 
you know, simpler or just maybe a little more difficult. The thing is that as, as everything, getting to know that something like this is possible and you, ha you, you have to double check your repository names when you download something from it. Even if that's a very famous one and you know about the developer, maybe it's a friend of yours and uh, you just trust, uh, trust them blindly, right? It can still yeah. be someone else which is disguising uh, as, as that developer, right? So I think that, right. that's we should, you know, get from it. That maybe there's another vulnerability we don't know about yet, but that the um, uh, eventually the result will be the same, right? Or something similar to this. Uh, just the fact that yeah. something like this can happen, it's already a very uh, important information, I think, right? Yeah, hundred percent. And this could even be used in a supply chain attack, right? If there's a dependency, maybe there's an open source code repository that has a lot of dependencies that other applications use. If you're able to then swap in your evil repository for the original one, and then now all of those, uh, all of the, those other organizations or, or, you know, solutions or, or code banks, whatever you're, you're looking at, are going to leverage that evil code. Now you might have a bigger problem. You might have a, a similar problem to like log4j, right? There's a lot of things that could happen if someone were to replicate this in a different way. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, that's probably the biggest threat here. The fact that you don't really have to manually download the code. You're maybe already using this code uh, because it's uh, uh, hard written somewhere that you are using, you know, the library someone put it on uh, GitHub for your your own code, right? In uh, mm. you know, I think again somewhere in the article uh, they say yeah they have identified over four thousand packages that could have been target of this kind of attack in the past, um, which has very very common packages used by you know thousands of people because you can see from GitHub you know. Uh, how many t how many times it has been you know downloaded or people have right. uh, you know used them so th I think that's the biggest problem what what if that same GitHub code or GitHub repository is used uh, automatically by some software out there like you have your script yeah. with your you know um, uh, yeah just just hard written in there download from this repository the dependencies for uh, what you really need and. Uh, you don't really check your old code every day to see if all, all of the rep yeah. repositories are correct, right? Um, right. It's true that GitHub say that they, uh, you know, uh, uh, they put a re redirection so that you don't really have to break everything every time you, you change uh, the name. But there's also the the the, the, po the thing that causes the problem, right? In the in this specific yeah. case. So I think mm -hmm. that that's the biggest challenge. Like, do you, as an organization, again, review everything you have written in the past, all of the dependencies you are using, see if you are using anything open source and whether those open source softwares are still just delivering the same legitimate software or anyone has, uh, you know, hijacked that in, in some way and the same legacy repository is now delivering some sort of malware inside the, the, the code. I think that that's a big problem, and you mentioned log4j, yeah. right? It's a it, yeah. it has been a, a very uh, you know a big issue concerning an open source library out there, 
And uh, I think it made very clear uh, just something very small built by some open source community is, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, is the base where so many organizations there are actually um, uh, developing their own, their own uh, softwares out there. So a very big, very, very tiny issue in a very small piece of code can cause problems to thousands of organizations around the world. And that's, that's crazy, right? Uh, if someone yeah. can also not just find a vulnerability, but introduce some vulnerabilities or introduce some malicious actions that same software can do, uh, you know, uh, that's it. That's jackpot. Uh, you will never yeah. detect it if you are not really, and no one is really checking all of their uh, internal code every day or something. Um, no, no, the, no one's doing that. It, it, it's too much work. It's just way too much work. And then it even makes me think about human beings at the end of the day. One of the things that the human brain does really well is it tries to be as efficient as possible. Even let's say we were in the, the, the spirit of checking all of our repositories all the time. At a certain point, your brain is going to say, we've checked this repository every single day for the last 365 days and we have not had an issue. Your brain is going to start to de-escalate that <clears throat> process. <clears throat> it's going to say, <clears throat> we're going to, we're going to see, we see the pattern. We've been checking this repository and nothing's happening. So it's going to start to quiet down those alarm mm -hmm. bells when it comes to those particular checks. Our mind does this all the time because it's trying to be as efficient as possible. It's trying to use that energy. It's trying to use those calories <clears throat> to do things that are going to help us with survival, help us with other people, help us with our community. If there's something we're doing that isn't paying dividends, our bodies, our brains are going to try to diminish what that thing is. Yeah. And even let's, let's say that, you know, you are half robot or something. And even if you really do that, the point is that that's too much data to review. So there's right. just not enough time, not enough resources to do it. Even if, And we lost you again. See if he uh, come back comes back, folks. I'm gonna try to hit him up. You are there. Can you hear me? I'm back. Yep. Yes. Yeah, I'm so sorry for that. Uh, hopefully, we can get to the end of this without further further issues. I think I, I'm gonna 
I'm gonna have to do some uh, little editing <laughs> after this. That's fine. Hey, it happens. <laughs> happens to the best of us. Yeah, it always happens. Anyway, so uh, yeah, let me reshare my screen once again. Uh, yes. Okay, so that's it. Uh, yeah, so just want to to end uh, with this uh, with this news idea right here is. You know, I was just about to mention that there are, I know there are some solutions out there to try to automate this process, you know, to review all the code. I'm not really sure how much they are effective or if these are really being used because I, I think there's also an issue where you don't want to uh, get as, access to your internal code to something from third parties, right? Because it's still, right. um, uh, you know, very sensitive information like, if you are a vendor, if you are selling the software and uh, you are pushing your source code to a third party, I don't know, cloud storage for, for analysis, maybe just assuming here, don't know, don't really know exactly how they work, but still can be, can be an issue. And uh, I don't know how much they, they cost. So n not all of the organizations are able to do that, even with the uh, automated solutions, I think. So it's it's very very difficult. You will have to maybe build something like that on your own. But that's other code you will you will have to review and check. So it's uh, it's yeah. really important. probably yeah. yeah I will I will say that's probably one of the biggest challenges out there. Like reviewing the source code for um, you know just issues of of any kind. Just because it's too much work, really too much work. Yeah, it's a lot of work and that's where trust comes in, right? You yeah. you do as much due diligence as you can when you're using code, uh, when you're bringing on partners, vendors, anything. But at the end of the day, there's a degree of trust that you have to put into the things that you're utilizing. Uh, sure, we can trust but verify as much as we want. But at the end of the day, we only have so much bandwidth. We only have so much resources to do the things that we're trying to do. And so sometimes you have to trust the things that you're utilizing. Absolutely. So I think that's it for for this story as well. We're going to the to the very end uh, of uh, this episode. Unfortunately for me, but at least I I can you know uh, uh, get Chris free of uh, you know from from here. Um, just a, you know for the last time a little reminder: if you are uh, watching this, if you are enjoying this uh, just a little bit, please consider to you know hit that subscribe button or just share it with someone that you think you will enjoy as well, because that's it. That's the reason why we're doing this. Uh, if other people are uh, watching, listening, commenting, uh, now this is uh, working as expected. Now, you know, even other people are le learning in the process, not just, you know, myself. And, uh, you know, that that's a, a community thing. So uh, the more people engage, the more this will be effective. And uh, I will know that I, I just have to continue doing this, right? So uh, it's, uh, it's very cool. And thank you very much if you do that. So uh, going to the very end of this, uh, you know, maybe Chris, you don't know, but I usually try to uh, leave the, the most, let's say, interesting or big thing to the very end, right? Yeah. And uh, usually that's also going to be the uh, the name of the episode that I still have to, to choose. But, uh, right. you know, here, I think that what it's mostly discussed in the in the last week or in the last days, mm -hmm. it's this, you know, um, 
um, I don't know if, if if I should call it data breach, but let's say this this attack to uh, NGM. I think that's correct, right? And that mm -hmm. I didn't know about it, um, but it's um, you know apparently it's the the company behind a lot of um, casinos and hotels, uh, especially in Las yes. Vegas, right? Uh, so it's a, yeah, pretty big organization, definitely. Uh, and uh, behind different brands of of this kind, um, so what they what they noticed is that, or at least what their customers noticed is that a lot of you know the uh, their services just stopped working suddenly. And we are talking about you know uh, getting access to to your hotel room via you know uh, your um, your card basically. Or if you are actually playing at the casino, your um, slot machine stop working, and uh, maybe you won something, and the money is not uh, uh, going out or anything, because you know nowadays we know that every organization is deeply, deeply, you know, digitalized, and uh, uh, it's based on computer systems, uh, even you know those kind of systems. And uh, uh, let's say I, I also. Um, read somewhere that even with the parking lots, there were some issues. You could get stuck because you cannot exit, for example, the, the parking and you have to go somewhere. So mm. this can definitely cause some, uh, you know, physical issues to a lot of customers because this is a very big organization. Now, this is the first part of the story that could be something yeah. that we read about multiple times. Yet another, you know, uh, um, company that was breached. Uh, but the point is that how it was actually breached, right? Because there are a lot of uh, mm -hmm. articles out there. Um, right. We, we didn't know in the first place what really happened. Uh, and the, the fact is that at some point, um, a very well-known uh, research group uh, called VX Underground uh, posted on, you know, you, they call it X right now, basically on Twitter, um, that they spoke with the attackers that did this uh, uh, this breach right here, and they described exactly how they got in, in the network. And uh, mm -hmm. the interesting thing is that uh, apparently it was a very, very um, easy but smart uh, approach where right. they did some research, I will say some audit research on LinkedIn to find out about some employees from NGM. Mm -hmm. And then... Apparently, they uh, they um, impersonalized that person. They called yep. uh, the health desk of the company, and th that was it, right? Just asking, uh, to, you know, um, to get access to the account. Now we don't really know the all the details, but we know right. that was basically social engineering uh, that they, um, uh, you know, uh, the, the way they they did the initial access. Now I want to specify something here because now there are so many people out there that they are just saying, okay, um, they did some, some just social engineering and that was it that, you know, the company was already broken. Now, I don't think it's that easy, right? Because after they got in, they had still to lateral move. They still to, to find out about yeah. the network and, uh, uh, you know, uh, did a, a, a different uh, chain of steps to get to their final goal, right? Uh, yep. That eventually, apparently, it was actually delivering a, a ransomware this time uh, that disrupted the network. Um, 
so I think it's you know there are two different point of views here. Like yeah, from a from a first point of view, how it is simple, it could be simple to get uh, the the initial full step uh, in the network just social engineering or something. And on the very other hand, you know this is just not the just, just that's not just it. Uh, the company actually didn't identify the attack when it was ongoing and it, was, it wasn't really uh, fast enough to block it uh, you know, before the, the, the most part of the damage was, uh, was perpetrated, right? Mm-hmm. You know, are, I think someone, even some security practitioners out there are forgetting about the kill chain, right? So the yep. attacker has to do a list of different steps in order to reach out their final goals uh, whatever that be, you know, uh, uh, again, exfiltrating or delivering ransomware or, you know, uh, anything like that. Uh, and the, the, the organization has to uh, find a way to uh, identify the attack as soon as possible, of course, right? Because sooner you, you, you get that, uh, the, the less damage you will face. Of course, if you prevent it, it's better. But we know yep. there's no such thing as 100% security. Any company... Exactly will potentially be breached, but uh, you know, the sooner you stop, you, you identify and stop the attack, the better it is. Now, now you know, I, I want to talk a little bit about this because I think it's been, uh, it has been uh, simplified a little too much, right? Yep. Yeah, it's definitely being simplified, over, over, over the top simplified because uh, this group, I think it's Scattered Spider. Uh, I'm not sure, I, at least I think I read that. Uh, Scattered Spider is known for you know, doing these operations against uh, different uh, casinos and big businesses. So you're definitely not dealing with someone that's really simple. It wasn't someone that just stumbled upon this person's uh, LinkedIn and impersonated them and then, you know, created all this, this havoc. This was somebody that really knows what they're doing, right? They utilize social engineering to get access and they, they made things happen. We were talking earlier uh, in this uh, show, we were talking about how sometimes uh, the original ask uh, gets lowered. Uh, I think it was against uh, Caesars, if I remember correctly, it was Scatter Spider, where they did a ransom for, I think it was like $30 million, and allegedly they you know worked their way down to, to 15. So uh, we know that there are uh, criminal actors that are looking for whales, right? The big, yeah. big ticket items. And this is another one of those instances. Uh, but the other thing that this paints for me, and I've always thought about this, you know, all throughout all my years in cybersecurity, is that if you, you, let's say it wasn't someone that was impersonating an employee, maybe it was an actual employee. I'm not saying in this case, but let's say there was a, an employee that was disgruntled in any organization in the world. And you had someone approach them and say, hey, if you could give us this access, if you could plug in this USB, if you could give us this particular AWS key, uh, we'll give you, you know, um, you know, a few thousand dollars and you get to kick your uh, teeth uh, by doing it. There are people that could give that type of access, uh, enable this type of operation across the board. So I would say, number one, uh, if this was any organization, I'm not saying that this was an inside job in this particular case, but any organization really needs to take care of their people. Because if you have disgruntled employees, people, they don't feel like they're being supported. They're not being heard. They're not being respected. You're going to have potential insider threats across the board. And so I would say from that perspective, it makes me think about that insider threat as well. 
Absolutely. And and you actually made me think about something that I didn't think before. Like, okay, once again, um, like we are just blindly trusting what the attacker is saying, right? So we right. know that this was social engineered in that way because someone from the attacker group said that. And I understand, right. you know, it's the X underground um that uh you know it's uh it's saying okay this is actually um trustworthy because we know about this group this is what they do and everything but once again what about as you said there was actually an insider threat that they are covering right. because they still can use it again in the future right exactly. and uh, the organization doesn't know about it you know, maybe now they will deploy a, li a list of different security measures in order to prevent further attacks in the future, but still that inside threat is still there. Again, just assumptions mm -hmm. here, no clues this is the case. Yeah. Uh, most probably it's not actually the case, but you know, that's right. something that could happen. If not right now with this case, with another, uh, you know, another case uh, tomorrow. So yeah, again, it's just something that, uh, okay, Social engineering is already something that anyone could fall uh, could fall for, right? We are humans. Yep. We have our own vulnerabilities as humans. Uh, they are just called in other ways, biases, by the way. Uh, but the point is that um, you know there are just so many different ways an attacker could get in, right? And uh, there's not such a thing as 100% prevention, right? No organization right. can do that. Right. This is just, you know, how things work. And in this case, what this way, in another case, will be a, uh, another different way. Um, the point it is, you know, when you fail to prevent, because you have to work on prevention, but at some point you have to work also on the other steps and to, to know about what's really happening inside your environment and uh, try to, to block them as soon as possible. I think, you know, uh, there's a lot of work to, to be done on that side, right? And uh, many, so many organizations, they have to improve uh, on, uh, on that aspect so much. And I understand also that one is not really simple, especially if you have a massive network like uh, surely uh, MGF does. Uh, but mm -hmm. yeah, it's definitely something that you as an organization uh, uh, has, has to do. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if maybe it's a, a bias of mine again, because it's my, um, my job, right? Uh, to identify right. the, the, the threats. But I really think, um, you know, uh, that, that's the most concerning thing uh, for me about this case, right? They could not prevent, for sure, right? That's something that will eventually happen uh, if they find the right person or just the, someone tired that was in charge of the help desk at, at that point. So they could fall for it. There's not something as, okay, I patch the guy so they, they will not fall for the for the phishing attempt, uh, but right. they could identify the attack, uh, you know, a little earlier. That's for sure. Yeah, I think I read somewhere that in this particular attack, every day that MGM was down was like twenty five million dollars, which is not a low amount of money by any stretch of the imagination. So it made me wonder. I, I really need to see the, like all the details. I hope eventually all the details come out as to how everything unfolded, because I mean. On the outset, if you're just looking at things in big social media, you're like, okay, so there was uh, some type of social engineering attack, uh, attack, and then the entirety of MGM pretty much shuts down, right? Everything. And it almost sounds like 
there might have been a decision, uh, and this is, I don't know this for sure, but there might have been a decision to start to shut things down preemptively so that there wouldn't be a bigger problem. I'd be curious to hear, like, what went on in this war room where it's like, look, this is such a big problem that we're going to have to just shut all this down just to be safe. Or was it a situation where the attacker was everywhere and they just the only recourse that they had was to shut everything down? I, I really don't know, but I'm really curious to see how it all unfolded. Yeah, actually, for those who are curious, um, I think just yesterday or a few days ago, uh, still the 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 uh, the group that I think it's yeah it's half B. Um, they basically posted once again uh, their their version of what happened, and apparently there 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 are some details in there. I didn't want really to uh, to bring in that. Because again, I don't just want to, tr to blindly trust what the attackers say, uh, but there are some some details about what they did, what the uh, organization tried to do uh, while the the attacker were inside, um, and uh, yeah, that, that that's some there, there's some interesting stuff in there. And now this this could be a, another interesting interesting aspect, like the communication during an incident, right? Like like mm -hmm. you, everyone. Uh, especially security practitioner wants to know more about the uh, incident and what happened, how the attacker, um, you know, did their stuff and how the organization responded because you, um, you can learn from it, right? And uh, of course, the organization is responsible for that as well. Uh, not just the technical response to the incident, but also the communication about it. And that's a big part right. of it for at least, you know, to contain the the uh reputational damage i would say mm -hmm. uh, but what happens when you have to consider that you're not the only actor uh communicating about it right now you know potentially the, the attackers has the same if not uh, a, a bigger and better uh you know reach when talking about that specific incident like okay if i talk about anyone like any any like to to any person will you trust more uh, like the company was to to not exactly say you know all the damages uh, they 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 faced with that specific incident or the attacker that actually really wants to describe every single step they want to uh, they they did so that can uh, you know uh, demonstrate uh, how good they are and what they do so there are two different yep. versions of the same story possibly and you don't really right. know which one to trust more or if any of those actually uh, there's yeah. a you know a further challenge for the communication but that yeah it's it's already a mess by itself right mm -hmm. yep you know it, it makes me think of uh, jack recider a good friend of mine and somebody you've already had on your show uh he calls himself a slow news junkie because he yeah. waits till the very end to talk about anything he waits for someone to get arrested or maybe even They've been arrested and already got out of jail before he even pulls the entire story together. But I mean, that's the thing about cybersecurity, that things are happening so fast, you kind of have to stay on your toes. And sometimes you'll never get the entire story. But uh, yeah, it's just one of those wait and see type of situations. Yeah, yeah. That's something that you really have to, you know, during, during the fact, it's really difficult that you get to know all of the real events right just because it's right. happening too fast just because you have to manage the communication and of course all of the parties have their own interest in how they communicate it yeah. so 
you know, again, sure. Also, the, the, this project here, we are reading just a bunch of news. We are not really doing a, a lot of, uh, uh, if you want, um, fact checking and everything. Because it's, I think personally, it's more on the learning on, um, you know, uh, on top of what really happened. It's not about, okay, uh, this really happened. It's, it's more on, if this happened, what I can learn from it, right? But right. if you want to know the real story, you know, of course, Jack knows uh, better than anyone else. Uh, you have to really get in touch with the people that were involved, not just, for, yeah. uh, you know, uh, probably to, to just some, uh, uh, you know, communication officer that writes a, a, a cool story to, um, you know, to, to contain the damage from the company. That's, that's, what, they do. Right. that's what they have to do, right? Uh, but... Um, yeah, it's it's a different thing. The real story to what they get as ends information, most of the time it's real. Dif it's really different, and uh, uh, most of the time we don't really get to know everything. Never, right? Because if no one is going to really deep dive and uh, reach out to the people and find out all of the different actors involved, uh, it's really difficult to to to, um, to to find out what what happened. Um, I, I just, you know, thinking out loud, I'm, I'm, uh, um, I'm reading it right now, uh, the mastermind, which is a very, very cool book, uh, reconstructing all the events around, uh, um, a pretty big cyber criminal or spam nation, right? Another book that is really, mm -hmm. um, you know, investigating and reaching out to so many people. It's a very difficult job to do. And, and still, you never know the full story yet, I think. You don't. Right? So, yeah. Uh, they say there's, there's my side of the story, there's your side of the story, and then there's the truth. And sometimes you'll just never get there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, so just, you know, a reminder to everyone, you know, reading an article doesn't mean exactly know the real facts, what happened, and the, the real, even, you know, uh, extension of what happened. Maybe you get to know even just, just a little part of it. Uh, it's maybe it's not you know false information, but you don't know the full story, uh, which changes completely uh, maybe the um, the sense of it, right? Yeah. So so this is an interesting uh, thing to to you know uh, think about. Okay. So um, don't know what you think, Chris. Um, I definitely think it was uh, you know very very interesting. Uh, talking with you, uh, reading this, yeah. this kind of events. Uh, this was uh, actually a pretty interesting week. Uh, there were so many other articles that I did. I had to, uh, you know, um, ju just drop because I cannot take everything. Yeah. We don't have enough time. Yeah. But I really, really appreciate your time uh, joining next year. Um, and uh, I really hope that, uh, you know, this episode uh, was interesting for course people who are going to watch this uh just as a reminder twitch youtube or spotify and similar platforms uh yeah i i really hope you enjoyed it as well chris um i had a great time i appreciate it Giorgio. that that's that's so cool and uh you know um i think that that's all for for now thank you very much for everyone who had you know stayed with us and will watch this later let us know your feedbacks hit that subscribe button uh share with your friends and uh, yeah, that's it. Good night. Good morning to, to anyone in the world. So uh, have a great day. Bye.